coming events. Okay, so today we are, um, I think, in our fourth week of this uh, series called Status. This is a relationship series that we're doing. And um, there is a way for you guys to ask questions. So um, we tried to do this online way of asking questions, but that didn't work. We, that, that, the system kind of failed us on that, so we're trying a different way. And it's very simple, going back to like the Stone Age, but it involves pen and paper. And there's a table at the back, and there'll be cards there, very simple. If you have a question you want us to address in the series, then fill out the card, put it in the, in the, uh, the basket there, and we'll answer the questions throughout the series, and also during a Q&A panel at the end of the series. So um, feel free to do that. Now, um, for this series, we have been using a book by Ben Stewart, and it's called Single, Dating, Engaged, Married. He really wrote the book more for college age, but I felt like I was going to take some principles from it and apply them to you guys in your current situation. And uh, so today we're talking about engagement. How do you know that this person is the one? Like, how do you figure that part, that part of it out? So I thought I would tell you just a quick story of, of how we got, my wife and I, how we got engaged. Is that okay to tell you that story? Can I say that? Story time. So, uh, of course, the, um, I mean, she kind of knows it's coming because we've already done, like, the ring fitting and stuff, and she, knows, she just doesn't know when. It's, that's really the question. And uh, so we, um, I, I, made, I made up stories like, yeah, the ring's going to be, like, three months to get here, so I don't know when it's going to happen. And, uh, and then um, around Thanksgiving, I said, hey, we're going to go do some Christmas shopping. And so I, I had this plan to, like, get her to Dallas at this one place to go shopping, and then um, I was going to work my way from there, like, hey, let's go have dinner. Hey, let's go look at Christmas lights. Kind of suggest these things throughout the evening. And then get to this one little park in Dallas that I had picked out, and everything was kind of set. And uh, so that was the plan. And, but she thinks we're just going to go shopping. That's what her mind, where her mind is. So um, she's like, hey, I want you to, I think you should try on this shirt. I think you should try on these pants. I think you should try on all these things. And I, my brain is not in clothes shopping mode right? I'm just not there. I've got this jacket on with the ring inside the pocket, and I feel like I'm going to get mugged the whole day, right? Because as a guy, you've never had something this valuable on your person before, right? I mean, I'm doing the math. I'm like, okay, maybe my shirt costs like, I don't know, 45 bucks. Pants are 65. She's maybe 100. But, you know, I've never had something worth thousands that I'm like carrying around. I mean, Maybe like a really nice belt that I had that one time, but no one's going to mug you for a belt. Everyone knows that, right? And so I've got this ring, and for some reason I'm thinking someone's going to like steal it from me that day. They're just going to know I have a ring in my pocket. And, but it, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you think about it, like she's going to wear the ring in broad daylight for the rest of her life. So it doesn't make a lot of sense that I'm worried about this, this happening. So we're, we're going shopping and stuff, and then um, I finally get her down to this, this restaurant, and um, it's funny because over dinner, she's like, I need to talk to you about something. And I'm like, well, what's this going to be about? And I need to talk to you as well, but not here and not right now about this. And, uh, and she's like, I just felt like when you were, we were at the, at, the, at the place shopping for clothes, like you, you were just like somewhere else. Like you were, like mentally, you, were just, you weren't even there. Like you weren't even, I was trying to get you to try on clothes, and you didn't even want to do that. You know, and I'm sitting there going, if you only knew where my brain has been all day, right? And so we had this, like, little mini argument at dinner because of this little situation. And I'm thinking, if you only knew what's going to happen in about a couple hours. 
So we finally get to the place. I take her to this little park, and uh, there's Christmas lights and stuff. And, um, and I don't really know if she knew it was going to happen. Did you, would you say you really knew this, this was going to be the spot? You kind of knew, maybe. By dinner, she was thinking along those lines, right? And so, um, th- listen, there was nobody else there. It was just us, the two of us. There was no paparazzi, okay? I would recommend to you just a word of caution that whenever you guys make those plans for your life later on, that um, you not make it some big public event. I guess you can if you want, but I will say this to you ladies, though. If he tries to propose to you during halftime of a sporting event, the answer should be no. I will not marry you, and I will find somebody else. All right? Ladies, can I get an amen on that? Is that? Can we confirm that? Okay, so this morning was not going to be about, like, how to propose, but that's just my little, like, food for thought, okay? Um, So there's four ways, and I'm pulling this from Ben Stewart's, but there's four ways to know that you know when it comes to a relationship with someone. And uh, the first is this. It is a strong sense of commitment. And what that means, do you sense that this person has a strong sense of commitment to the relationship. And then it goes for you as well, the person that's thinking through these things. So another way to ask this is do you both want to work through problems? So in Song of Solomon, there's a verse uh, where the, the woman is saying this to the man in the, in the book Song of Solomon, where it says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Okay, what does all that mean? So how is love like death? Well, we don't usually put that in a Valentine's card, do we? Love is like death. We don't say stuff like that. But love and death are alike in this way. When death takes hold of something, it never lets go. And so love has this way of when love grabs hold, it says, I'm staying for better or for worse. And there's a commitment when there's, when there's true love involved. Now, I'm not saying you should have this kind of commitment when you are dating someone because part of dating is evaluating, right? Are they the kind of person I should be with? However, so dating isn't marriage, but dating is still a commitment. So I want to help you understand this. Um, when you're dating someone, it's not that you're, you're married to this person, but there's still a commitment when it comes to, to dating, I think. And so if the person is dating, quote-unquote, multiple people at one time, well, that's not really showing a sense of commitment. And this verse also talks about jealousy. It mentions jealousy. You know, many see jealousy as all negative, but there is a godly jealousy. I mean, God talks about that, says that in the Bible that he's actually jealous for his people. And so there is a godly jealousy, but there's also the overreactive kind, which is, I saw you say hello to someone, and now I'm upset about it, right? That's an overreactive jealousy. That's not a godly jealousy. But there is a godly jealousy that if the person was cheating on you, well, then you should be jealous about that. That's okay to be jealous about that. But in the dating relationship, the question is, do you see a desire to work through problems? So Ben Stewart says it like this. Evaluate long enough to see how the relationship survives when drama comes. Now, 
there are many couples who don't evaluate long enough. If I'm, if I'm counseling with a couple who's about to get married, I will ask them questions like, when have you had a conflict and how did you handle it with this person? And if they say, you know, we, we just don't really have conflict. We never disagree over anything. Well, you're not being honest with each other, I would say, if that's what your response would be. So there's a way that these trials expose what's really in your heart. Like, how badly do you want to be a part of this? How, how committed are you this, to this relationship? Then the next verse in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7, it says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he'd be utterly despised. So if love is like fire, now it's using the image of love being like fire, it's saying that even a flood can't put it out because it's so powerful. So if there's, if there's commitment in a relationship, then some little disagreement is not going to drown the relationship, drown the commitment. You have to date someone long enough to have some disagreements about fundamental issues. And when those arise in the relationship, is there a resolve in both people to work through it in a godly, understanding way? You've got to begin to see that pattern in a relationship for, for it to be one that could be on the pathway towards marriage. Another way to test uh, commitment is distance. So if you're seriously dating someone in high school and you're both about to go to college, I don't think you should just pick the same college just because you're both going to the same, you both are in this relationship together. I think it should be other, other factors might play in. You might end up at the same college for other reasons, but I don't think the driving thing behind it should be, well, we're dating now, we see a future together, therefore we're going to pick the same college because we're, we've already had this thing, you know, wrapped up type of an attitude. I think part of that is because dating, the distance can actually be a good test for the relationship. Uh, there was a couple that was in, I told you, I think the first week we had the series, or this, uh, the first talk in the series, there was a couple I knew that um, they were like dating since eighth grade and they did it the right way. Um, they did it the godly way and they actually chose completely different states to go to college in. Like she he went to Penn State. She came all the way to Texas from Virginia for five years. They were apart off and on, back and forth, and they had this long-distance relationship. She graduates. He graduates. They get married. And so distance was kind of a test, and that wasn't why they did that, but they weren't making their decision based on this relationship, on where to go to college. And so it's not always that I would say that's the case, but I think that's a good idea to let distance be a test for it to see if there's truly if, it, if there's truly a commitment there in that relationship. Now, so we have asked the question, how do you both handle problems in the relationship? Now, I will say this. If the problems result, if the problems in the relationship are resulting from one or both person's lack of character, then that's a bigger problem, and you should probably end the relationship. So every relationship is going to have problems, but do the problems stem from a lack of character? And if so, then you need to get out of that relationship. So I'll tell you a story. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was in this really dysfunctional dating relationship. And uh, it lasted for 10 months. And uh, this girl I was dating, um, 
throughout the relationship, there were several different times. I had my sin for sure, and she had her sin as well. But one of the things that she would do is she was very flirtatious with other, other guys. And it would really upset me, make me really angry, make me really mad. And there were a few times where she actually was, someone else told me that she, like, kissed another guy and stuff like that. And, um, and I would go and confront her, and she would admit to it, but then say how sorry she was and say how she wants to be with me and all these different kinds of things. And very manipulative. And it all came to, like, this crescendo toward the end of that school year. When I go on a mission trip overseas, I come back with my, my youth group, and we're still kind of in this relationship, at least I think we are, and um, she confesses that while I was gone, she was with this other guy for like the whole two weeks. And so now I'm just livid. And I'm like, okay, this is it. This is the end. You know, I'm done with this. And the whole time in this conversation, she is telling me, but what I really learned from all this is I really want to be with you. And I've heard that before, right? And you might ask the question, like, Dave, how could you be so stupid to continue to be in that relationship for so many months when she had this pattern in this relationship for most of the time? And I will tell you, that here's the one reason why. Because we had a physical relationship. We weren't having sex, but we were going down that road. And so because the physical thing was there in the relationship, I will tell you, this is why I think you shouldn't go down that road when you're in high school, especially in a dating relationship, because it is like a drug. It is like a drug. And you will stay with someone much longer than you should. And you won't see clearly. And that is the one reason why I stayed in that for 10 months, because it was like this drug. And for those of you, you know this to be true. You know this is the result it has um, on us physically, emotionally. And so um, what would happen in this relationship is she would always turn it to say, well, no, we need to, if we're committed, we need to work out our problems. And no one ever sat me down and said, no, look, the problem here is a character issue, and you need to get out. You don't need to work on that problem. (laughs) And listen, I had my own character issues. I'm not saying this is all her. It was me as well. We both sinned in this relationship. But this was the pattern. And, and would say, we need to work out our problems. And so what I would, what I would caution you in is this. If someone's, if someone's lack of character is creating the problems, you don't need to stay and work it out. You need to get out. You're not married to this person. You're only dating this person. And dating, there should be this evaluation happening in the relationship. So the first point is a strong sense of commitment. The second point is a growing skill of communication, a growing skill of communication. So can you navigate relational conflict with this person? Can you disagree in a way that promotes unity rather than disunity? And this is true even for your friendships. Like you having friendships is great preparation for what's going to happen in a relationship one day. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So when you disagree with someone, do you turn turn words into weapons? Does the other person turn words into weapons against you whenever you have a disagreement or a conflict with somebody else? Do you wound somebody to win the argument? Do you make it personal? Do you get like off track and like not focus on the actual discussion but start attacking the person and their character? 
if a couple came to me and said, you know, all we do is fight. Like, we just fight all the time. Well, I would say that's, that's a red flag. <laughs> but it's also a red flag if they never disagree about anything. And they're like, yeah, we just agree on everything, like, all the time. So how you resolve those disagreements, I think, is the key um, to this point. Or sometimes one person will be real dominant. We see this a lot of time, where there's one person who's really dominant in, in conversation and just whatever else it might be, and other person's really passive. And it works out great because that one person just always gets their way all the time. That, that can happen in relationships. But is there a true, like, give and take in the relationship and is there a true, a, a growing skill of communication? Proverbs 15.4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So what do you do when your feelings are hurt in a relationship? Are you someone that lashes out at the person, attack, attack mode? Or do you go passive and you give the silent treatment? And you just turn off and say, oh, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Do you do that method? We've got to speak in a way that gives life to the other person and life, life to one another and uh, can produce growth and intimacy in the relationship. Ben Stewart, I love this quote in his book. He says, when you disagree with someone, you need to focus on his or her actions and your feelings. And I'll explain what I, what I mean by that. Sometimes whenever somebody hurts us, we focus on their motives instead of their actions. So we tell them what their motive was. You know, when you did this to me, you were trying to do this, and you've assigned a motive now. And now what happens? Well, now they're defensive, and they're like, that wasn't my motive. I, I, how can you read my motive? And so he says, it's important in a conflict to stay focused on what they did and then how you felt about what they did. And don't read motive into it, because you're going to get off track, and you're going to be off to the races and it's going to become a whole different argument, a whole different fight. So early in our relationship, my, me and Courtney, um, we did this to each other a lot. There'd be times where I would say something, and she, or she might um, blame me for motives, or I might blame her for motives. And we would have like a whole different discussion now. And it was, you, you'd have these, you're like, how did we get here to this discussion, you know? But if we had stayed focused on this, look, here's what you did. You can't deny what you did, that you did it, you know. And here's how I felt about what you did. And that's it. And don't assign motive. Don't assign, don't blame motive. Otherwise, you're going to get off track. And this actually, again, this works out really well in your, in your personal friendships as well. So this is a better way, I think, to handle conflict. When, you, when someone hurts you, you focus on their actions, then your feelings. Don't get into motive. That's a distraction. Then thirdly, survive a moment of confession. And I will say that this, these points I'm giving you are things to think about when you're moving towards serious relationship, possible marriage. I'm not saying you should do this today <laughs> or even like, you know, a month from now. I'm just saying this is like down the road stuff. But survive a moment of confession. Now this, again, should not be a conversation early in the relationship. But at some point, if a relationship is progressing and getting more serious, then you're going to need to confess some things to each other. And this might be telling them about some of your sins of your past or maybe some sins that have been committed against you. Now, I don't recommend 
having a conversation about delicate topics like sexual brokenness or abuse without first seeking the wisdom of someone who's like a mentor or a pastor or a counselor. Like we're not suggesting that you go and just tell everybody everything. We're not saying that. But I would recommend that before you have that conversation with someone, you go to someone that you trust, someone wise and someone older and, and more life experience, and ask them, I'm, I need to tell this person this. Now, how, how might I do that in a wise way? This person can help you know how much detail to share, how much detail to leave out. You see, the goal is to share enough for it to be a legitimate confession, but to leave out unnecessary graphic detail. Some might ask this question, well, how is my past any of their business? Well, first, it says to the other person, it says, I trust you, even in my brokenness. But secondly, it can be powerfully healing for you and for them. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. There's always this idea in the Bible that when you confess to someone else, that you obtain healing, you obtain mercy, grace, forgiveness. And if this other person, if they know the mercy of God, they're going to show you mercy when you confess. And they're going to respond with words like, I'm so sorry that happened to you, or I'm, I forgive you, or I still want to be with you. And those are healing words. Those are healing words. So honest conversation about your past can strengthen the bond between you as a, as a couple. And the chances are when one of you opens up and confesses, the other person will as well. Again, my, my wife and I both, we had this experience where as we began getting more serious in the, in the relationship, she began to share some things about her life, her past life with me and confess those things to me. And it was hard, obviously, for both of us to talk about, but then I also confessed some things to her. And that opened up a door for us to have those conversations. And that was a healing moment for both of us, I think. So if you're on the receiving end of that conversation, this might be difficult at first for you, but remember, for any follower of Christ, sin is not their identity. Jesus is. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, where Paul's lift, listing off this, this list of sins. And then he says, he goes, and such were some of you. But he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And so one day, each one of you is going to have that conversation with someone. And the question you have to wrestle with is, if they're a believer, do you believe that verse is true about them? They've been washed, sanctified, and justified in Christ. Do you believe that about them and their life? And then fourthly, support of your community. So listen, you, you need wise people around you. You need community around you. And people speaking into your life always, but especially in the area of relationships. I'm always amazed at how many times I meet with people and they're in a serious relationship. And they show up and want to talk about the wedding. And, 
and you realize, you find out that they've had nobody speaking into the life about this relationship. No one. They've not let anybody in. They want to invite everybody to a wedding. But I say invite people into your life. Like, let, let them have input into what's happening in that relationship. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no guidance, a people f- falls, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. Now listen, you don't, you don't need advice from everyone. I wouldn't recommend that. But there are a few wise people that, who you trust. I would recommend that highly for you. This past week, I met with a former student that used to go here a long time ago who wanted to discuss these things in her life right now. And so we had that conversation last Wednesday, and I really appreciate her reaching out to ask those questions. But do you reach out to people and ask questions and ask for wisdom from people in your life in these areas? And I would say you need to have these conversations well before engagement, through the whole process. If the people around you are saying that this is not a healthy relationship, then the question is, why are you, why are you still continuing on in that relationship, in that pattern? This is why I always tell couples, I think they need to have uh, pre-engagement counseling instead of just premarital counseling. I mean, everyone knows that once the ring is on the finger, there's not many people that are going to turn back from that. Once the ring's on the finger, they see it as like, look, this is, we're just not planning a wedding. That's what the point of that is. But I recommend you, you go through some kind of a, a counseling scenario before you even get engaged, before there is that, that finality of engagement and the ring on the finger, and open yourself up to, to hearing from other people about what they think about the relationship. Another way to think through this, I have found this next idea really helpful. Um, when I've met with couples before, and they've had questions like, well, how do I know this is someone I could marry? I just say it very simply. I say there's a book that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Four Loves, and I'm going to talk about three of those loves right now. The fourth one is charity, which is a different, like compassion, different kind of love. But in his book, he talks about these, these, three different, these four different kinds of love. The first is um, eros. Now, in, in the English language, we use one word for love, Right? But in Greek, there are di- different words for love in the Bible, in Greek. So one of those words is eros. This is physical attraction. It's the most obvious one to you, right? And usually you don't have to, like, I would say this kind of love, it does just kind of happen. You just sort of have an attraction for someone. And, um, and you can't explain it. It's, you didn't make a decision about it. It's just, it's just there. Eros is just there or it's not there. So is that present in the relationship, okay? If the answer to that is yes, the next question is, there's phileo, which is friendship love. Is there a genuine friendship love with this person? Like, do you like being with them? Do you click? Do you get along? Is there chemistry, relationally, personality? We get the word, of course, uh, Philadelphia here. We think of friendship. And so this should be true, of course, in your friendships as well, this kind of love with people. And then lastly, and so these two first kinds of love are not really choices you make. Like you just, it's either there or it's not there, right? But this last love, agape, is a choice. And this is unconditional love. So I tell people if if these first two are present, that's a strong indicator. And, of course, we've already discussed all the questions about character and all those kinds of things as well. Assuming all that's true. But if those first two are there, the next question for you is, 
Will I choose to love this person unconditionally? And that kind of love is a choice. And that's the kind of love that Jesus chose to express to us by sacrificing himself on the cross. This is a love that is at the center of the gospel. And it has to be the same kind of love that's at the center of any kind of marriage relationship. So you guys are going to go to your breakouts. And I have been told 